You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. My dear friend, we have been lied to. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Hello, 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 my friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. Boy, howdy, do we have a doozy of an episode today. It was was something else, sifting through all the information to put together and separate fact from bias. And With this episode, you can taste the bias, my dear friend. To be honest with you, I thought this episode was just going to be me telling you the story about the ins and outs of Viking life and dispelling some light misunderstandings about the Viking era and telling you about one or two extraordinary but rare Viking warrior women. But our episode today is looking at the real lives of Viking women and the lies we have been told about them. I am so excited and I hope you are too because we're about we're about to go in on some archaeologists and historians. So without further ado, grab your shield or pour yourself a beverage in your finest horn glass and let's get to it. Before we start dropping truth bombs, let's talk about what a Viking is. Where did they come from? Who is considered a Viking? Because all of these were questions I had no answer to before researching this episode. If you asked me a few weeks ago what a Viking was, all I would have been able to tell you was that they're smelly, drunk warrior dudes that like to pillage and plunder and all that jazz. But I was 1000% wrong. So before we dive too deep into our topic today, let's answer these questions. What is a Viking? A Viking is a member of the Scandinavian seafaring warriors who raided and colonized wide areas of Europe from the 9th to the 11th century. Where did they come from? The Vikings originated in the land that is now known as Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. And if you're like me, and you cannot picture that in your head, I got you. There's pictures of the map over on Instagram. I've put it up for you. It's okay. So in the beginning, where they lived was really rural with almost no towns. The vast majority earned a living through agriculture or along the coast by fishing. However, advances in ship technology in the 7th and 8th century made these people mobile AF and they just started 
going all over the place. They went everywhere. Europe and East Asia, south to northern Africa and as far east as Newfoundland. Newfoundland? Newfoundland? I don't know. Do you know? Anyways, they went there. No matter how it's pronounced, they were there. And they didn't just pillage and plunder, nay, nay. They set up trade routes all over the world and made lots of money. This time of travel is known as the Viking Age in European history. The Vikings spoke Old Norse, which is... It's so cool because it had a crazy lasting impact on the English language itself. We actually have a lot of words in the English language that came from Old Norse. For example, slaughter to birth, cake, cake is a Viking word, and the word happy. Huh? Isn't that cute? I think that's cute. Anyways, all those words came from the Norse language. Vikings themselves called themselves Ostmen, but a lot of the historic records that we have were written by the English who called them Danes, which is not accurate because they weren't all from Denmark. But the English hated the Vikings, especially the church, because in 793, terror descended upon the coast of Northumbria before England was England as armed raiders attacked the defenseless monastery of St. Cuthbert in Lindisfarne. And this is where the Viking stereotype begins. Vikings rarely, if ever, wrote about themselves. Most of what we know about Vikings was written way after they were all converted to Christianity in the 12th century, or it was written by English people who actually hated them. The true insight we get into how Vikings thought is through their poetry. These people wrote up a freaking storm when it came to epic poetry and sagas. It was their main deal. But the thing about these sagas is that they are a combination of actual historical things that happened and fantasy stuff. They have historical figures and dragons. So it's kind of hard to figure out what is real and what is not. I mean, clearly the dragons aren't real, but you never know. You never know. You don't know what was going on in the 700s. There could have been dragons. <laughs> so one little myth that I just want to bust right now, and this will be a reoccurring theme in this episode, some Vikings fought and raided and pillaged, but others were peaceful farmers just looking for a good place to settle. Others were incredible craftspeople that made delicate and intricate metal and wood carvings, jewelry, gorgeous fabrics, and a bunch of other cool stuff. And one of my biggest takeaways from all of my research is that Vikings were incredibly hygienic and tidy, and Hollywood has lied to us, dear one. So, Lady Vikings. When you think of a Viking, I'm sure an image pops into your cute noggin of a big burly giant man with a huge beard and a bunch of weapons. And for quite some time, and even now, this is the image portrayed by the majority of archeologists and historians. 
Of course, you have mythical images of Valkyries, right? But those aren't real women, archaeologists and historians say. They're mythological warrior goddesses. And then you have shield maidens, the token woman that would go on raids, but was definitely not the norm. The story goes for Vikings that men were the patriarchs. They were the bosses. And the gender lines were clear. Women ruled over the house and the food and the clothes, which was important, no doubt. But these women were only important in the home. The men were the warriors and the adventurers. And that has been the Viking narrative thus far. But dear one, none of this is true. The image we have of Vikings was filtered through two lenses. The first being the lens of the incredibly sexist English church and society. I mean, the Vikings didn't do themselves any favors by raiding the churches either, but, you know, there was some extra bias sprinkled on there by the church. The majority of the written records that we have from England were written down 200 years after the Vikings converted to Christianity and their entire culture completely changed. Which I mean, duh. It had been 200 years. No society stays the same even after like 10 years, let alone 200. So that's just another fun layer of bias and unreliability. The second lens is the politically and academically conservative Victorian era. Women in Victorian society had one main role in life. To marry and take part in their husband's interests and business. They were to tend to the children and to the kitchen. So these historians and archaeologists looking back through time couldn't possibly believe that women of any other era would be different. And get ready for frustration nation, my friend, because we are freaking pulling into the station now. Let's look at how this last lens really affected how we see Vikings today. Before genome testing, archaeologists of the time, a mostly male-dominated field in that era, classified male and female Viking remains in some pretty freaking sketchy ways. For example, thick bones were always male and thinner bones were female. Any bones found with weapons, even remains that were cremated, were always classified as men. And any remains found with jewelry or weaving tools or quote-unquote feminine things were women. And this technique has a name, actually. It's called sexing by metal. And it began in 1837. But it doesn't stop there. In addition, when it came to skulls, archaeologists were taught that women have smoother bones. I mean, that's some foolproof evidence right there. Smooth bones? It's clearly a lady skull. <laughs> but I want to know, how in the figgity fuck do you quantify smoother? One... Anyways, I will digress. You know what? Hold on. I will not digress yet. Because I need to know. 
what was the standard of female smooth brain, not brains, skulls? What was the standard? Did they have like a skull that they showed all the students? Like, touch this skull, feel how smooth it is. This is a lady's skull. Touch this skull, not so smooth. If you feel a, a skull like this, it's a man's skull. How did they do this? I need to know. These are the questions that keep me up at night. And now I will digress. So these dudes were just classifying skeletal remains left and right, making crazy banana assumptions about the bones and the grave sites. One of the things that I find so weird is that in their classification, if a skeleton was found with keys, it must have been a woman. Like it had to have been to them. You see, to these Victorian archaeologists, the keys symbolized the keys to a home or the keys to a store or the barn or a stock house or something like that. So if, you know, you were the keeper of the keys, you were keeper of the home. And that's what they thought the role of Viking women was, the keepers of the home. But even when their own thick bone and thin bone male-female hypothesis, pi, pi, <laughs> hypothesis directly contradicted this system, they chalked it up to being like a fluke. Like, oop, dude bro was accidentally buried with some keys. Guess the Vikings made a mistake. This is a man. This is clearly a man. What? And the second thing about the keys that gets me is that there's not even there's not even that many keys that have been found. In 2015, a Norwegian archaeologist calculated how many swords were found and how many keys were found. Mind you, swords were the way archaeologists gendered skeletons. If a sword was found, if any weapon was found, it was a man. This archaeologist decided to take a look at how many swords were found at a particular bury site and how many keys were found at the bury site, burial site. So 3,000 swords were found and 143 keys were found. Which is like, okay, TK, maybe just, there was just more men buried at this place than there were women. But dear one, here is the true kicker. Of those 143 keys that were found, half of them were in men's graves. So, make it make sense. Make it make sense, archaeologists of the past. Okay, and I hear you. I, I hear you right now. TK, maybe this is just a fluke. It's a, it's a small sample size. It's just one burial site, one one section of graves but this it's not just this one my dear sweet friend you are too kind and too generous and i love you for that let me give you another example in 2011 an archaeologist in denmark was doing some digging and she found only nine sets of keys out of the 102 confirmed female graves so we have a confirmed 102 female Viking graves and only nine keys, which are supposed to be the indicator that the skeleton inside that burial area is a woman, but only nine were found. 
And another example of why sexing by metal is ridiculous in the case of the Vikings is that women's bones, female Viking bones, have been found with weaponry. But Victorian archaeologists kind of swept it away by saying, oh, these are simply ceremonial. Or, oh, these are heirlooms passed down from generation to generation. That's why the ladies have it. But never once did it cross their mind that the same could be said of Viking men. Why is it different when a sword is found in a male burial site and a female burial site? Once again, make it make sense. In the 1870s, one of the biggest Viking archaeological sites was uncovered, BJ581. Archaeologist and anthropographer <laughs> Hijmar Stolpe, Hijmar Stolpe, I, I listened to that how to pronounce thing on YouTube a thousand times and that's as good as I could get. I'm so sorry. That's a hard name. So this guy, Stolpe, excavated the burial chamber as part of his archaeological research at the Viking Age site Birka. And it's on the island of Björko in present-day Sweden. And this is a huge Viking burial site, one of the biggest in the world. A human skeleton and the skeleton remains of two horses, along with a sword, an axe, a spear, armor-piercing arrows, a battle knife, two shields, a Viking chess set symbolizing knowledge and power of war and strategy, and almost every Viking weapon known to man was in BJ581. It had the most weaponry of any burial site ever discovered. BJ581 was also prominently placed on an elevated terrace between the town and hill fort, which means that even in death, this warrior was overlooking the fort and the town to protect and command. P.S. And by the way, BJ stands for Bjorko. Bjorko. <laughs> I can't say this word. Bjorko the place in present-day Sweden where, you know, the burial site was found. And 581 is the number, the sequential number of discoveries. So it was the 581st discovered burial site. Anyways, so moving on. <laughs> because of all this, and due to sexing by metal, the skeleton was classified as a male. There was no testing done whatsoever. It just didn't exist at the time, but there was no closer inspection done of said bones because the evidence was clear this was a man this burial site became the poster child for viking graves it was standard for what a great viking warrior would be buried with and provided a ton of insight into the viking world and it was just simply left at that to the archaeologists of the time the skeleton in bj581 was a man. But in the 1970s, an archaeologist did the first osteological analysis of 
the BJ581 skeleton. And an osteological analysis is just like a fancy way to say they looked at the DNA inside the bones. So when they were doing this analysis, they were trying to find the Y chromosome because the Y chromosome indicates whether a person is of the male or female sex, but they didn't find anything. There was only X chromosomes. And that meant that the BJ581 skeleton was a freaking woman. The world's leading example of what a Viking warrior was turned out to be a woman. But the historical and archaeological community was not having it. They dismissed it by saying, oh, they got it wrong. And let me tell you all the possible ways that you could be wrong. So number one, the swords, the swords don't actually belong to the BJ581 skeleton. They, they have to be family heirlooms that people buried with her. There was no way that she used them. <sighs> but here's the thing. These swords are not indicative of being heirloom swords. They were useful swords. They were the ones that you really took out to the battlefield, not the ones that you passed down from generation to generation. They weren't fancy. They were swords built for function. And that function was killing people. BJ581 was also not buried with any keys, but they could explain away this too. The keys must have been taken or stolen. Or, you know, she was just too high rank of a person for that sort of thing. But that is just not true. Why on earth would grave robbers steal sets of keys and not steal all of the very expensive weapons that were inside the grave? That just doesn't make any type of sense. And there has been no clear connection with the keys to gender or class. There's just no connection there. But despite all of the facts, the research was buried. Other archaeologists buried it deep and refused to acknowledge the possibility of a real-life Viking warrior woman. But in 2017, 2017, this was not that long ago, Stockholm University osteologists Anna Kajelstorm reviewed the skeleton as part of another project. She wasn't even, she wasn't seeking out to find that BJ581 was a woman. That was not her goal. She was doing other research. The skeleton was a part of another project. She had noticed the bone's structure suggested that the unknown Viking may have been a woman. It was labeled as a man, but she thought that that was not true. And it was based off of evidence way more compelling than these bones be smooth. And Anna's theory turned out to be true. She did a genomic test on the skeleton in BJ581, once again confirming not only that BJ581 was a woman, but she was tall at a whopping 5'7", she was strong and well-fed, meaning she was 
very high up and possibly even royalty. So they compiled all of this evidence, all of this information, and they presented their findings in the American Journal of Physical Anthropology. And they also presented at a conference. But the world of archaeology lost their freaking freaking minds in a bad way. The evidence but the, the evidence was irrefutable. How do you how do you contest DNA? You don't. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, okay? And if there is one thing that they have taught me, it is that the DNA doesn't lie. Okay? It doesn't lie. But there's always haters that can mansplain anything. One of the arguments was that the body didn't have any battle wounds. But that's just BS because neither did the male skeletons that are also classified as warriors from the same site. Out of 49 confirmed male warriors, two, two out of the 49 showed signs of sharp force trauma. So that sharp force trauma is not a good indicator of whether a skeleton was a male or female or had been in battles previously. Another argument, and this one is my favorite, is that there must have been a second male body inside the burial site. There must have been a second body and it must have been a man. That's what it is. The, the male skeleton was just gone. It just somehow just left. I guess it got up, zombies are real, he walked out of the grave. So all of the artifacts in BJ581 are really just this missing man's artifacts. But this again is BS. Because the spacing of the skeleton and horses and other artifacts do not allow for a second body to be inside the grave. Archaeologists can trace the location of a wooden bow that had rotten away like a thousand years ago, they can know the shape and the size of the bow. So there is no way that they would miss a full ass human. What? And I'm gonna read directly from the 2017 article that was published. The distribution of the grave goods within the grave, their spatial relationship to the female individual, and the total lack of any typical female attributed grave artifacts disputes this possibility. That's what I like to call a mic drop mofo. How, how is there gonna be a second person in the grave when no typically female attributed artifacts were found? Make it make sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> you can read this full article, this full report, and it goes into way more very sassy scientific detail. And I'll leave a link in the show notes to that. It's such a good read. But skeletal remains are not the only artifacts that we have that confirm the existence of women warrior. Tiny bronze figures that are like one inch tall. I think that's like, what is that? Like three centimeters? I don't know. I think it's three centimeters. Anyways, they're really, really small. Like real, real small. These little figures have been found all over Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. And they are of tiny little warrior women. They're clearly warrior women. They have shields 
and swords, and their figure is that of typical female Viking artistic representation. Male figures are also found. But here's the difference. The male figures have always been classified as actual artistic representations of real warriors. But the female figures that are exactly the same, there's nothing different about them other than the fact that they're women are classified as representing mythological figures like goddesses or Valkyries, assuming that Valkyries are not real people, which just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to assume that the male figures are representing real people, then you also have to assume that the female figures are representing real people. This bias that all male warrior representations are real and all female warrior representations are fake or mythological carries on into literature analysis. If you look at the sagas that we were talking about earlier, those stories written about real things and mythological things, women warriors are always classified on the mythological side. But in the same story, it could be in the same story, the male warriors are considered to be real or based on historical figures. But when you actually read these sagas, not even that closely, when you just read them, it's incredibly clear that both men and women Viking warriors are treated in the same way within the stories. There's no indication that the female warriors are mythical. That is the interpretation of the Viking era placed upon those sagas. It's just not reality. Our image of Viking warriors has just been distorted by these sexist, biased lenses. So what do we do now with this information? What does it matter? Well, that is an excellent question, my sweet summer child. Now armed with the knowledge that there had been some bung up classification practices and the 20th century gender bias being placed on Viking culture, we can now begin to piece the real culture of the Vikings together. Genome testing of various Viking skeletal remains is being done by the same team that tested BJ581 skeleton. They are continuing to find evidence that more and more skeletons previously classified as Viking men, warriors, are actually in fact women warriors. These findings are important because representation is important not only in media but also in history. It breaks my heart knowing all the little girls, boys, non-binary kiddos that could have been so positively influenced by knowing that some of the fiercest warriors in the world were indeed women. But how sweet is it now to know for a fact that the greatest example of a Viking warrior we have in the world is a woman. Well, my sweet friend, we have come to our final thought. I didn't know 
quite where I wanted to put this, but I just, I had to tell you about it. And that's precisely why we have the final thought. So not only do we have BJ581, right? You know, the greatest Viking warrior, who just so happens to be a woman. We also have the world's largest and most extravagant Viking ship burial called the Osberg ship. It is incredibly well-preserved and housed the bodies of two extremely important, you freaking guessed it, women. Within the burial mound was a crazy big boat, 13 horses, two dogs, two oxen, four wheel wooden carts, three beds, wooden chests, four wooden sledges, and a variety of other items indicating that these two ladies had some high influence and were most likely royalty. However, no weapons were found in the ship. There was no indication that the women in Osberg site were warriors, but let's think about that for just a second. The two most extraordinary Viking archaeological discoveries in history are both burial mounds of women, Viking women. Other graves don't even come close to the size and the scale and the lavishness of these two places. It just indicates even further that the women of the Viking world were equal to, if not more prominent, than we have ever imagined. And to me, that is so beautiful. That is all for us today, my friend. I know this this topic was not what I initially thought it was going to be when I chose it. And I hope that's okay with you. I hope that you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed the episode. Thank you for also being patient with me with this episode release date. I really appreciate it. Um, I truly appreciate it more than you know. And just thank you. Thank you for showing up, coming back week after a week. It's amazing. Your time is important. And so I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me and spend time with me. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a rating and a review, donate to Patreon or the books and beverage fund that keeps me caffeinated while I provide you with the best possible episodes I can and the best history content that I can possibly make. I hope you take good care of yourself this week and next week. I know the holiday season can get pretty hectic and family can get hard to deal with sometimes. So This is my permission slip for you to tell people no this winter season. Just say no or just play this recording right now, okay? I'll wait. Hold on. Here we go. No. There. See? You could just play that for them. (laughs) Protect your peace, friend, and drink your damn water, you dehydrated, delightful human being. And I will see you on December 24th when we talk about the dark side of winter solstice. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) 